64,000 people. 64,000 people. That's how many were in the SCABB stadium uh, in San Diego. When <clears throat> my buddies and I decided to go to the 2007 Holiday Bowl, who can say who was in that bowl? Who can name one team? Okay, great. University of Texas. <laughs> and, woo, my mom, okay, my mom's here. Happy Mother's Day, Mom. She went to UT. She never, ever lets anyone forget it. So that's great. Love you. Uh, University of Texas uh, and Arizona State, the Sun Devils and the Longhorns. So we decided we we're going to go out there to San Diego for a week and a half. We were going to surf. We were going to uh, canoe with the seals. We were going to hang on the beach. Um, and we had a mansion on the beach that was gifted to us for free. It was awesome. And at the end of the week, we went to the bowl game. It was really fun. And as you can see uh, in this picture, there's you know the walkway, the walkway ring that goes all the way around um, the stadium. And in this picture, you can see that it has like all the little advertisements on it. So we were in that middle section. That's where we got to sit for the game. We went to the game looking like this. So that was pretty fun. I have the sunglasses and the hat on. That's, that's skinny. I don't have any cares in the world, Jake. So, uh, and you can take that one down for sure. <laughs> Thank you. So we're sitting in the end zone. And uh, we uh, are, at, at halftime, I think the score was 28 to 10 UT. So the UT side of the field was really energized and having a good time. And so we, what we thought we would do is help the energy level and go down to that walkway where all the advertisements were and begin running around the stadium in line. You know, so hook them, basically a running human banner, cheering everyone up, you know, getting everyone on their feet. But what we didn't take into account or didn't think of is that as we were running, we would eventually get to the end of the UT section and run into the Arizona State section. Very gradually, we realized that there were less orange, burnt orange shirts in the stands and more yellow and red, crimson. And uh, that's when the beer bottles and the nachos began being thrown. We get halfway through the Arizona State section and a group of very large men who had probably been drinking a little bit came down, linked arms, and stood in the walkway stopping us in our tracks. Grabbed two of my friends and the rest of us bolted up to one of the top section doorways where we got down into the bowels of the stadium, dispersed, <laughs> hid for a while, went back to our seats, took all the girls' jackets and put them on over our painted bodies so no one could know we were there. It was the most terrifying and maybe the most fun experience I'd ever had in my life. <laughs> they stopped the game because the referee stopped on, a base, on the basis of like a fan distraction or something like that. Because so much security had to go to that one section to get my two friends out of the arms of these drunk dudes. Great story. All that being said, it is a classic story. It's one of my favorite stories. But the reason I loved it is because we did it together me and my buddies. And we got to have this amazing experience together that I got, to send, I got to send that picture of us painted together to all my buddies this morning. I said, guys, 2007. And it was just, you know, those memories come up and you get to remember sharing something together. Well, in John 21, that's kind of what we get a picture of is doing something together, remembering it, 
But in this story, there's, there's someone who's helping the disciples remember the experiences they've had together and who they are. And in one instance, it's very intimate and it's one-on-one. So what I want to do is I want to dive into John 21. We're going to read all 19 verses because I want, to get, I want you to get a good context of the story as a whole. And then we're going to break the story up into two different sections. So uh, for those of y'all who have a black Bible near you, it's going to be page 907. And if you have an iPad or an iPhone or an Android, feel free to pull it out and, uh, and use your Bible app. So uh, we're going to start in 21 verse 1 and we're going to go all the way to verse, we're going to read half of verse 20 at the end there. After Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias, pause. Sea of Tiberias is another name for Sea of Galilee. Sea of Gennesaret. They're all the same thing. Tiberias is a town on the shore of Galilee. So that's probably where John and the disciples were hanging out or hiding in a house in Tiberias. Uh, From Tiberias, you can see across the sea to where Jesus cast the demons out of the man and they went into the pigs. You can see Magdalena, where Mary was from. You can see Capernaum, where Jesus healed the man who was lowered through the roof. You can see where Jesus did the Sermon on the Mount. You can see the town on the hill, where Jesus said, a, a, a town on the hill's light cannot be hidden. So take, take that in mind when you, when you think about the memories that the disciples are having to live in as they think about the fact that not only are they hiding from the government and the religious leaders of the day, but everything around them reminds them of their best friend who was murdered on a cross. Okay? Everything, every rock around them is reminding them of Jesus. After this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias, and he revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter called... Uh, Simon Peter... Thomas, called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, the two sons of Zebedee, the two, and two other disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I am going fishing. And they said to him, we will go with you. They went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, children, do you have any fish? And they answered, No. He said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat, and you will find some. No, duh. So they cast it, and now they were not able to haul it in because of the great quantity of fish. That disciple whom Jesus loved therefore said to Peter, and this is John, it is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he was stripped for work, and threw himself into the sea. The other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from land, but about a hundred yards off. When they got out out on the land, they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid out on it and bread. Jesus said to them, Bring some of the fish that you have just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore, full of large fish, 153 of them. And although there were so many, the the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, Come and have breakfast. Now, none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew that it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them, and so with the fish. This was now the third time that Jesus had revealed to the disciples, that Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. 
verse 15. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Pointing to the disciples. He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, feed my lambs. And he said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, tend my sheep. And he said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said it to him the third time, do you love me? And he said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. After saying this, he said to him, follow me. And Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So the first thing we see here is a four-letter a four-letter phrase uttered by Peter saying, I'm going fishing. So we look again to where they are, who they're with, and the situation that they're in. And I have to believe that he, Peter, in this instance, had gotten to a point of such great sadness that he simply needed a distraction from the feelings and the emotions that he had concerning the death of his best friend, Jesus. So at night, he says, I'm going fishing. Now, there were ways of fishing at night that could be profitable for people in that time. But I have to believe that this was Peter just simply saying, I need to get away. I need to go and be by myself. The amazing thing is that the disciples immediately say, we will go with you. How many times have you been in a situation, a family member's death, hardship in life, financial need, whatever the case may be, and the community around you rallies and comes to you and says, you won't go through this alone. We refuse to, to let you do that. That is what's happening here with Peter and the disciples. They're saying, we know how you feel. We understand. We're in it too. And we refuse to let you do it alone. So they all go out together at night to fish. The disciples rallied around Peter to love him and love him well, just as we should do for one another when we go through hardship. Then it says, just as the day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, children, do you, do you have any fish? So, okay, random dude on the shore that's not been, he's not been, he's not revealed himself to them yet. So as of right now, he's just a dude on the shore about a hundred yards out yelling at them do you have any fish? No, dude. Like, why are you? It's nighttime. Go away. They answered him, no. He said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. You're telling me they only cast off the left side of the boat all night. I have to believe the disciples were like, yeah, no duh, man. Like, we tried that. So, so it, when you're reading in between the lines, there's this playfulness 
that Jesus is offering to disciples. He's messing with them because they're friends. I love being able to call Jesus a friend. And it's moments like this that just really solidify that. Um, so they cast it, and now they were not able to haul the net in because there was such a great quantity of fish. The disciple whom Jesus loved, John, yeah, Jesus loved me, man. Like, get over yourself, buddy. I think John was a seven. Anyways, that's just me. Uh, Enneagram joke. Whose head did it fly over? Great. Good job. That's bad, Pete. That's bad preaching right there. Uh, and, he said, and he says, it is the Lord. And when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he was stripped for work and threw himself into the sea. He put on his outer garment. So he's, he's taken it off. It's obviously gotten hot as the sun begins to come up. And he puts on the outer garment. I believe that when Simon Peter saw Jesus, what Jesus had gone through, witnessing his death on a cross and his betrayal of Jesus, left his mind completely because he was just simply happy to see his best friend again. And he puts on the outer garment, which I believe would symbolize him like Joseph, putting on the garment that truly identifies him as Christ's brother, as God's son, and jumps into the water, going after Jesus. Matthew 14, anybody? This is the second time that Peter's gotten out of a boat to go towards Jesus, right? Peter's also a seven. That's conjecture, I'm making it up, whatever. So there's this total abandonment that that Peter gives to the work, that gives to the people that he's with, and that he gives to the actual historical past that he's lived with Christ, that he ended with betraying Jesus and says, all I want to do is be with Jesus. I don't care if I have to, in my clothing, go and swim to him. The great thing in the revealing uh, that, that Jesus gives to the disciples in this moment is there's, there's a revealing and a remembering. So he's revealing himself to his disciples through a blessing. He's, and I believe that there's some playfulness here too with Jesus, between Jesus and the disciples, and Jesus saying, hey, I'm blessing you with this great multitude of fish, and then you're going to come to the shore and have breakfast with me with fishes and loaves. And I, I believe that he is actually saying to them, I want you to remember these other times that we've blessed people with loaves and fishes. That's how I'm revealing myself to you with the reality that I am the God, I am, I am the man, I am the man God who can do these things, who can make these miracles come true so we can bless others. And that's how he's revealed himself to them. So now we move on to verses. So that was verses uh, 1 through 14. Jesus' interaction with the disciples as a group rather than as individuals. He's reminding them as his fellow workers in the kingdom who they are, who he is, and what they have done together. When we get to verse 15, we get to the one-on-one interaction that Jesus came to the shore to have that day. He's had a one-on-one interaction with Thomas. He's had a one-on-one interaction with Mary. He now wants to have a one-on-one interaction with Peter. Verse 15 says, When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Pause. Now we go to verse 20. 
And Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them. So I think sometimes when we read verses, when we start the scripture in verse 15, we envision that, okay, Jesus has set up this uh, fire and this meal for the disciples. They've, the disciples have come uh, to the shoreline and they are uh, sitting around the fire, enjoying each other, conversing, having a meal together. And then Jesus simply turns to Peter and begins speaking to him in front of everyone. But if you do a little bit of digging, what you read is that from verse 15 to 19, it's Jesus speaking to Peter, but verse 20 reveals to us that John couldn't have been following them if they were just sitting there. So conjecture, where's conjecture? An opinion or a conclusion formed on the basis of incomplete information. That's what I'm about to do. I'm not rewriting scripture, but as I read the scripture, the Holy Spirit kind of revealed this to me. So I wanted to read it this way. Verse 15, when they had finished breakfast, Jesus asked Simon Peter to follow him and walk with him down the beach. And while they were walking, Jesus said to Simon Peter, okay, so that's why I've, I've, I've sectioned this part of the scripture as the one-on-one -on -one relationship. This is Jesus saying, you, come with me. I want to walk with you. I want to speak to you. I want to reveal to you who I am. And I want to reveal to you who you are in me and what we're going to be doing together. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And he said to him, yes, Lord. You know that I love you. And Jesus goes on to remind Peter three times through asking him, do you love me, of the three times that Peter betrayed Jesus in Matthew 16.35, Peter says these five words, I will not deny you. Do you think those words were ringing in his mind when he's walking along the beach with Jesus? Oh, I messed up. There's a charcoal fire, which he was standing around a charcoal fire with other people as Jesus was being taken blamed and ruled on as a uh, unlawful citizen, saying, I don't know that man. Not only that kind of, yeah, he, I might know it. No, that person I don't recognize at all. That charcoal fire, again, being something that brings back those memories as he gets to the shoreline and Jesus has breakfast waiting for him. The do you love me question that Jesus is asking Peter is one that's being used to restore Peter to fullness in his character by redeeming the three instances of betrayal. Jesus, this is a great grace to Peter. A great grace to Peter. And not only is he redeeming him and, and reconciling himself to him and allowing Peter to, to release the burden of these denials that he's done, but he's also commissioning him, recommissioning Peter, and showing him who his identity is. Jesus says, feed my sheep, tend my sheep, and feed my sheep. So not only is I love you said to Jesus three times, but 
what I need you to do is stated three times to Peter as well. And Jesus every single time says, my. These are my sheep. These are my lambs. I can't say it any better uh, than these two things. I'm going to share some scripture with you and a quote. The scripture is Psalms 103. Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who made us and we are his. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. And then this quote to somewhat explain it by G. Campbell Morgan. He said to him, Jesus said to Peter, feed my lambs and shepherd my sheep. Mark the grace of this. What did he give Peter to do? His own shepherd work. We have been saying that the shepherd is king. Kingly work then is that of feeding lambs and shepherding sheep. That's what a king does. Does that fly in the face of anything currently that we experience? Kings serve. Kings care for. He says to Peter, prove your loyalty by sharing my royalty. I am king. You have crowned me king. They are my lambs and my sheep. My work as shepherd is to feed them and gather them. Share in it with me. Do it by my side. Prove your loyalty by fellowship in the exercise of my royalty. Prove your loyalty by fellowship in the exercise of my royalty. Not let me stand on you and lord over you. Come into my royalty, my kingship with me so that we can shepherd together. Because who is Peter? Right? He is the man who Jesus has said, upon you I shall found my church, the rock. Right? Up until this point of him being reestablished through the loving words of Jesus, I would say instead of the rock, he's been a little rocky. Instead of being stable, he's been a little shaky. This is how Jesus shows us his love for us. He welcomes us to stand with him in his glory and his work. He's already done the work. He's already shown us how to do it. Now he's saying, hey, I know we just had breakfast and shared a meal, but come with me. We have stuff to do. I need to reveal to you who you truly are so that we can go together and do these things. Peter's new reality, the, rea the, the truth that Peter has lived in and is living in and is going to live in is revealed to us through Scripture, Galatians 2.20, which says, I have been crucified with Christ. Now, pause for a second. Paul's writing this, but it's really neat to take these words and place them in Peter's mouth. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. For a man who has been weighted down with guilt and shame for who knows how long, being able to live in this truth, the, the reality of the words that Christ has given him in this encounter, that's got to fire him up for what's coming next. It's still scary. It's not safe. But the motivation is there 
knowing that Christ is in me, he is beside me, before me, above me, behind me, and below me. I want to put a couple questions <clears throat> up on the screen, but before I do that, I want us to, with this scripture in mind, in, in verse 21, in chapter 21, I want to just... I hope that you see the love that Jesus has for his people and for those that follow him and, he, and how he longs for us to come to him, to be with him, to share with him in the breaking of the bread and the work of the kingdom. So our application questions for today are, are heavy. And um, I, you know, I wasn't hesitant to write them, but I know that there's a weight to them that is very tactile and real. And so my hope for you this week is that you would take these questions, maybe write them down, take a picture of the screen when it comes up. Um, but I really encourage you this week to take these next six days to dig in, to make time, to be with Jesus, to ask these questions, to, to dig into the questions with him, to let the Holy Spirit speak to you. So question one is, do you believe that Jesus loves you? Oh, I'm, I'm a Christian. Yeah, yeah. No, no, Bible. Cool, man. That's great. How many times have you actually asked yourself that question? The way that Jesus interacts with his people, with the disciples, with people that don't like him so much, that Jesus. Do you believe that Jesus loves you? Question two, do you this is a heavy one. Do you know of ways that you've betrayed Jesus that you're not allowing him to forgive you for? What are you carrying today that you don't trust him with? That you don't think he's safe? What are those things? What, of what heavy burdens do you need to release to him? Because we've all betrayed Jesus. That's not, it's not Raise your hand if you have. It's everybody has. But we move into the goodness of who Jesus is and say, Jesus, I am sorry. And not wait to see if he will say, I forgive you, but accept that he already has. And question three, what is Jesus saying to you today? Sunday, today, Mother's Day, tomorrow, Monday, this this is the reflection question that you can allow for the Holy Spirit to speak to you through to get clarity on the first two. Jesus loves you. That's, that's the crux of my message. Jesus came after these men so that he could reveal his love to them in the same way that he continues to come after us today. Jesus loves you. Some of y'all have never said that to yourself. Jesus loves me. Why? Is it because you don't believe he does? Is it because you feel that if you allow that reality to be true in your life that you'll, he'll, he'll abandon you or hurt you? There's excavation that we can do there. The releasing of the burdens of the sin in our life and allowing for Jesus to hold us and walk with us in his love. Um, after the service today, we're going to have people in the back 
uh, our gospel community leaders who want to pray with you and for you. Um, and I, I really encourage you to go back there and, and ask for people to intercede for you with the Holy Spirit um, to maybe begin the process of answering question one. Really, really getting into the nitty gritty with Jesus and saying, hey, let's get messy here. I, w- I really want answers to these things. What are you saying to me today? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, um, we love you and we, uh, we know you love us. We're told that you love us. Show us that love. Um, you say that we are individually knit together in our mother's womb, so what that tells us is that each one of us is individually special to you. Help us to understand why. Explain to us what your love means for us. Explain to us what your love does for us. Explain to us what, our, what your love is going to do for us. We love you, Lord. Thank you for this time. Amen.